0: Thank mm-hmm. you. So we are here with Christopher Kale Jones and Mr. OG
1: First National Tour. OG First
0: National Tour, Frankie Valley, Holla, ain't no holla (laughs) back. And we got Mr. Howard Tucker, who is a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of kindness, and a wealth of purity. Please welcome Howard Tucker and Christopher Kale Jones.
2: Hey, hey, guys, it's a pleasure to be here with you.
3: And David, thank you for those kind words. And Chris, we go back a long way. It's so sure do. So wonderful to see you again. Um, just a little bit of background. Um, I had done several interviews for the Jersey Boys blog before I actually met Chris on the opening of Jersey Boys in L.A., Um, The in-person interviews were arranged by the publicists, one in New York and one uh, nationally. The national uh, publicist is Kent uh, Mackingvale. And um, to start with, Chris, I had heard about you even before we interviewed. Um, I had connected initially very early on with Christian and Melissa Hoff, and they had told me that you had done Shivago with melissa and thought the world of you and then of course there's his old joke i went to see dr shivago what's wrong with you now et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it's actually actually a play um do you and it was directed by Des mackinoff is that the first time you worked with Des, chris and maybe you could give a little bit of uh, background on um you're working with Des and how that came to Jersey
2: Boys. Yeah, absolutely. That was my first time working with Des. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, when I was in New York um, as a young actor, uh, I took a monologue class with Holly Ann Ruggiero, who's now Holly Hollyann Ruggiero Palmer, and uh, she ended up being Des's assistant on a number of projects, including Jersey Boys. So when the auditions came around uh, for Zhivago, which was the adaptation of the, the novel Dr. Zhivago, um, I... I went and auditioned, and she was in the room. Um, and I, I am pretty positive it's thanks to her that I got a callback for that. I mean, I had a fine audition, but you know, it was for sort of a relatively mm-hmm. small part. You could pretty much slot in any young, ambitious actor. It wasn't wasn't a huge deal. Um, but she she made sure I was in the callbacks. Uh, I got the part, and then because of that, I got to work with Des, and also the choreographer on that show was Sergio Trujillo, who ended up being the choreographer for Jersey Boys. So I I have to credit it to to other people as well as uh, the opportunities I've had that. I've I was able to be in the incredible show Jersey boys and play Frankie Valley. So it's, it's thanks to Hollyanna was in Chivago and it's thanks to that experience that they had um, uh, a chance to kind of get to know me that eventually I was in Jersey boys.
3: And of course your enormous talent plays a little bit of a role there too.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I do want to acknowledge that it was incredible working with Melissa. I've always had the utmost respect for both Christian and Melissa. Um, it's it's clear that they uh, have their priorities straight. They're incredible performers, but also you can see the love in their family and how they've uh, approached life. And it's it's uh, it's something that I I truly respect.
3: Yeah, um, they're always upbeat every time I speak to them. You know, regardless of what might be happening in life. They always take a positive view of it. While you were doing the national tour, is that when you did the recording for Blue Moo?
2: Yeah, so uh, literally what happened is uh, Sandra Boynton, who's an incredible uh, children's book author uh, and has done uh, musical recordings with a lot of her children's books, was uh, looking for someone to sing a, one of her children's songs in the style of Frankie Valley. and she had someone lined up to do it and then they unfortunately dropped out. I honestly forget who it was. It was someone who had an actual name as opposed to myself but someone who was active in the recording industry um, and then we were coming to town in Los Angeles which is where they were recording and so they literally saw, her, her team literally saw a billboard for Jersey Boys at the Amundsen and said well we're looking for someone to sing a song in the style of Frankie Valley. Who's playing Frankie Valley in that production? They called the Dodgers the Dodgers hooked them up with My agent and I got a call from my agent being like, "Hey, you want to go record a song for some money?" And so I got to record at the Capitol Records building, which is that big iconic kind of round building in Los Angeles, which was so cool, guys. So I went and I recorded on the on the on the ground floor, um but it it's it, it it was really one of those uh kind of pinch me experiences. Um and yeah, you can you can still get it. It's on uh I think I think the song is actually on iTunes and Spotify uh as well as of course uh, in uh, in bookstores and the the children's book was called blue moo and M-O-O. i believe
3: yeah i believe you ended it with I sound just like Frankie Valley. I
2: or... I did I did I, I I sang everything they uh they they wrote that there so that was not me claiming to be uh, the oh, best Frankie Valli impersonator okay. but I I did sing everything that they wrote on the page.
3: <laughs> Were you living in Manhattan the entire time of the first national tour, or did you move back after Jersey Boys, or move there, or? Yes, yeah, so that
2: happen? yeah, I had I had an apartment in Manhattan when I when I booked uh, Jersey Boys, um, and then uh, I. I, I had my stuff there for a while, and then I, I uh, went out on the road, and while I was on the road, I was still uh, dating my wife, um, and we, were, uh, we got engaged, got married on a Tuesday. I um, called out of the show on Wednesday so that we could have a post-marriage you know marriage, uh, meal with the, uh, the family, um, and then I flew back to the road on Thursday, um, and so from that time on, I had a shared apartment with my wife, obviously, uh, in New York. So yes, I kept a residence in New York the entire time.
3: And, you know, I, I remember after you left Jersey Boys, um, how you and I still connected. I think I emailed you, hey, Chris, you want to have lunch? And you jumped at the chance. We went to Burger Heaven. And, uh, you know, we we had um, we broke bread several times with you and me, with you, me and Jenna, with you, me and my girlfriend at the time. And we really went through life together, um, you know, what our, our um, you know what happened. Obviously, you got married. I remember the day that Jenna's dad passed away, which was of course a very, very sad day. And uh, you know, it, it was just great reconnecting. And I think during that time, um, you know, maybe it evolved from fanship really evolved into friendship. And um, it was great that you know, we became pretty close. Now you did do a play in New York, and I'm just not gonna remember what it was. It was A play, a guy, were you celebrating a guy named Kyle or I want to say Massey or yeah? So I did, Nick Massey,
2: yeah. I did a a show that started at the New York Music Theater Festival. Um, and uh, there's an incredible musician named Ned Massey who, uh, yeah, he was a folk artist in the style of Bob Dylan, and when he was coming up, uh, he he, he kind of was seen to be possibly one of the next big things and it, it just never quite happened for him even though he was incredibly talented wrote a lot of great songs um and so he wrote a show kind of about that experience you know which is is fun because we don't always get to see that side of the entertainment industry like someone who gets close to the top but then doesn't quite make it over the hill and so it, it was a, a beautiful show that kind of told that journey along with um weaving it together with his kind of experiences of spirituality and so on so I I played kind of an angelic sort of uh spiritual presence in the show which sounds odd unless you've seen the show but basically I got to sing a lot of high tenor fun stuff and I loved it
3: yeah yeah I I remember it pretty fondly as well although I obviously I didn't remember um Ned's name sure um you know um subsequent to that um, we actually saw you in Washington. I drove down. I drove down with Gary Newberg. You probably remember him or know him. And we're still lifelong friends. And um, we actually saw you in Little Shop of Horrors. I could have used you there, man. I'm in process of getting three implants with a lot of money. You probably could have done it for me a lot less, uh, less expensively. And, um, you know, then after that came Under the Street Lab which was really, really great. I went to two of the tapings and, um, you know, some of your stuff. Obviously, I don't have to tell everybody that you've got a phenomenal voice. But, you know, you went... No, Howard, you
2: do you do need to tell everybody. Please uh, keep telling everybody. Thank you. Well,
3: there you go. <laughs> a phenomenal voice compared to everyone's, not just compared to me. <laughs> Anyhow, um, you did go out of the box a little bit with She's a Lady and... Um, and was it since I don't have you that or since I yes, felt you? Since
2: I, I, I sang you. both of them in two different specials.
3: <laughs> okay, so well, yeah, we were both great. And I loved the slow version of who loves you dedicated to Presley. I thought that was so that really was terrific. Now, um, I want to just make a joke at the very first taping. I hope my Cuneo story is okay here.
2: Go for it, Howard. All
3: right. Well, Cuneo did a wonderful, probably the best at last I've ever heard, the Etta James song. And then I posted after that, you know, Mike, what a great rendition. And then you posted right after me. I can't believe it. I'm your friend. You're my friend, and you like his singing. What's up with that? And um, you know that was a treat for me to go to those um, tapings, and uh, it just was wonderful. And um, after that, we talked about Darren Ventures, where uh, Bobby Darren was one of one of my favorites, and that's really my generation. I think more than your generation, with Mac the Knife, Split, Splash, Beyond the Sea, and um, everything else, and um, you know you went into that. Um, I'm an investor in that. And obviously, with the pandemic, you really couldn't do any more shows. And, um, you know, is, do you plan on continuing there or are you not sure at this point? Or- yeah,
2: absolutely. So let me let me expand on that a little bit. So, um, uh, yeah, as I was coming out of Under the Street Lamp, um, my friend Michael Ingersoll, who was also a member of Under the Street Lamp, um, had started his own production company as a producer. Um, and he was producing uh, a bunch of these shows with a single artist where they were singing the songbook of uh, a famous musician from the past. Um, and he asked me and approached me. Early Early on and said would I want to do that and so the funny thing is that when I was playing Frankie Valley on the road Bobby Darren kept coming up because there's a lot of parallels between both of them they both ended up making a big name for themselves uh, in the pop world but both of them kind of wanted to be the next Frank Sinatra like if you talk to Frankie like when he was coming up that's what he wanted they wanted that big band and, and you know that's why particularly the-
3: stand, stand on the chair to do that
2: though go ahead <laughs> hilarious <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah that, that was why you know particularly in the show uh with Jersey Boys when he gets the horn section you know that that's a kind of a call back to where he started in his youth where he wanted to be this big band singer and then just ended up being an incredible pop artist uh, as did Bobby Darren. so because of all these parallels I said yes I would love to create a show so I wrote uh, a show and I basically strung together stories of uh, from Bobby Darren's life and from my life and then strung, strung it all together with Bobby Darren music and then as I was approaching the end of my time with Under the Street Lamp um, I'd already done this show a number of times with Michael and I wanted to get a recording of it so that I could um, have it for sale and also so people could listen to it and so I approached you Howard and you agreed to invest in this recording so I got a live band together I did it live on stage here in Chicago um, and I got a live recording of my my show and um, which is all about Bobby Darren, And so that recording um, I've had for a couple of years now, but because of the pandemic, I actually spent the time this year getting it digitally uh, uploaded. So now it's available on Spotify and iTunes. And it's a fun thing if you're, if the listeners here want to listen to it, because I did keep some of the stories in between the songs. So you can kind of get the feel like you're experiencing a show um, by streaming it. You can just go ahead and stream it for free on um, iTunes or, or Spotify. It's called Darren live at Mercury Theater Chicago. So again, Darren, live at Mercury Theater Chicago. And uh, if you listen to it a bunch of times, I can finally pay Howard back for investing in it. Let
3: me sort of wrap up with this. As I said before, I've not only been a fan, I've become a friend. And um, I'm so grateful for how kind and welcoming You guys have been and how you've let me participate in the Under the Street Lamp tapings. I don't mean performing, but the camera was on me a few times. And um, I, I, you know something, I think the two of you are just proof that there are great, wonderful people in the world. And thank you so much, Chris. What a wonderful
1: segment. We learned a lot. And and Howard and Chris, oh my gosh. So Chris, when you were mentioning the show where you were that angelic character. Um, I, I love stories that are about people who just get there but not, not quite over. I love that. And Richard Hester, of course, the production supervisor of Jersey Boys, actually told us a really cool way of breaking down each season where Frankie just, he wanted the respect of the people. Tommy wanted respect from the people in the old neighborhood. Nick just wanted to play for himself and Bob wanted the respect of his peers and so for you would be able to play Frankie and then also in like parallel do Bobby Darren's story through your concert and then do that show that just sounds like a wonderful opportunity you, as not just actor. hit
0: the trifecta.
2: love it love it David yeah no it was a wonderful wonderful experience to do all of them and play the different kind of uh shades of being an artist where on one hand you have like the mountaintop experience with with Frankie um and then you know similar with Bobby but but Bobby also died young he died when he was 38 so like he was just Mm -hmm. kicking into gear when he passed unfortunately and then of course uh doing my friend Ned's uh story and Ned Massey's still around and his music's available online and he's another guy who's just a sweetheart so if you're if you like folk music definitely look him up because it's a fun thing to listen to and know that this is someone who almost kind of hit it real big.
1: Definitely. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I have a general question too. Um, in our sound check last night, you actually mentioned how you were a math major as well as a theater major. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit with at your at Northwestern?
2: Sure. So I, I've always loved math. When I was in uh, in high school, um, I finished everything my high school math department had to offer me by my um, junior year. So my senior year, I actually went to the University of Hawaii. I, would, I got a, a uh, a permission to to leave campus from my high school. And I would go from my high school, I would drive to the University of Hawaii and I would take calculus Whoa. courses there. Um, so then when I went to, to college, I was like, well, this is something I can continue. I still really like it. Um, and I, I don't think it was so much, I'm, I'm tempted to say it was also like a, a tempting fallback. I don't think it was that. I, I did really love doing it. And I just thought it would be fun to have both majors and get a degree in both. Um, but unfortunately, by the end of my freshman year, I was I was getting a little burnt out trying to maintain all the prereqs for two majors. And so I decided one of these is going to make money in the future and it's not mathematics. So
0: I dropped the math major. <laughs> oh, well talk about like not your well, standard. And
1: knowing your odds yeah, too. Like, wow. come on. <laughs> like <that's... laughs>
0: if only we all had the insight right. to say, Don't fall back on math, fall back on. Now, so did you study theater? Did you study acting or did you study music theater?
2: So both. Uh, The way that Northwestern works or worked it at the time, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same now, is that you would be a theater major, which I was. And then you could also study music theater and you would get, um, it's not a minor there. It was a certificate. So I basically, I graduated as a theater um, major with a certificate in music theater. Uh, They also do a funny thing with the major in that it's a bachelor of science in theater um which i think the distinction is that you you do a little bit more into theater history you have a little uh different slightly different prereqs than to have a a bachelor of arts
0: they do still do that my cousin went to northwestern she she was a theater major and she was a tya track
2: oh nice fantastic
0: um for all our listeners tya stands for theater for young audiences Mm -hmm. and um so she also got a a bs
2: awesome that's That's great Mm -hmm. yeah i also realized how much what's that
0: Sorry. No, her name is, her name, my cousin's name is Faris Glar.
3: Oh, fantastic. Just, what a wonderful name.
0: Yeah.
2: That's great. Yeah. I also realized how much I'm aging myself by saying, I think they still do this at Northwestern.
0: So
3: just so the listeners <laughs> well, it's know.
2: It's a fair
0: I'm... question. It's a fair question. You know, some yeah. universities change their policies yes. and regulations. And
1: my, so I have a bachelor of arts in journalism, but I'm in the college of sciences. So who knows? Sure. But as, as I've heard for years, so every art is a science and every science has an art. So there's always both together. And totally. so when you're putting together your shows, even your auditions, is there a certain methodical way you go about it?
2: Uh, yeah, there definitely is. It's funny because my wife and I are both in this industry. She's an actress as well and a singer. Uh, and we approach things completely opposite. Uh, she, she will improv her way into something uh, until she finds something that's right, that fits, that feels good to her. And I will plan everything out beforehand, which sometimes means I show up and, and uh, can be slightly more stale if I don't allow there to be enough um, kind of spontaneity with it. But, uh, but I do like to plan things out. And so I think that's also where the math major comes in. When I'm approaching a piece of music, particularly, I, I'm, I'm already planning out where, where are the different departures I can take off the notes if I'm going to add a little bit of my own style Um, You know, I've always had um, uh, a great respect for singers who can sing so improvisationally. Um, and a great example is someone that Howard mentioned, which is my good friend, Michael Cunio. He can, you know, if you know the term riff, he can just riff for days. Like he, he'll, he'll, you know, he just knows where the chords are and he can just go up and down and run, you know, similar to, to, you know, a lot of the pop artists that you may know and love. And that's something I've never really had access to. I always kind of have to plan my way into those moments. And it's, it's rare that I can get enough in the flow of something that I can truly just let loose and have it still, you know, stay in the music and, and sound great. So I've always had a huge amount of respect for that. So yeah, I, I tend to be an over planner. I've gotten better at that as I've gotten older. I've been able to kind of calm that down a little bit and trust that I have enough chops that I can get into a room and also kind of uh, feel it out and, and be more spontaneous.
0: I think that's what makes, <clears throat> but that's that's what makes it easier, I guess, for you to do musical theater and for you to sing Frankie Valli because we, we were talking with Aaron De Jesus who was in, did you cross paths with Aaron De Jesus in Vegas?
2: I did not, I wish I had because I have a huge amount of respect for him but I, I unfortunately have not crossed paths with him.
0: Oh, gotcha. So so um, he, he, he was talking to us about how, you know, when he sings Can't Take My Eyes Off of You in the show versus how he sings it at like a cabaret. Like I saw him sing it for uh, Jeff Lebo's NF Hope for a Cure concert. And he was like, I can, I, and I, I heard it, you can do it so much differently, but you know, that whole methodical scientific way of approaching things is perfect for musical theater, especially with a period piece and a bio piece like Jersey Boys, where you have to sing it a specific way and plan it out a specific way or else-
1: Yes, and, or else Frankie fault. Valley is gonna call Richard Hester and then- Oh my trouble. God,
0: do you know that story? <laughs> Richard Hester tells a story where he's on, he's in London, he's on
1: for the show yeah
0: yeah he's there for the show he's on a bridge I forget which bridge yeah and he's beautiful like, night beautiful night gorgeous yeah and he sees it's Frankie Valley on the phone oh my god okay let's let's answer it hey Frankie what's up and he's like you know I just saw the show last night and you know I had a problem I don't remember where he saw it he didn't he didn't say where he saw it I
1: think it was in Vegas
0: yeah I yeah. think it was in Vegas <laughs> um this was I think it was like 2000, like, uh, at like pre I think post 2010 I think and yeah. so he's like oh like I didn't really love how the guy sang Moody's Mood for Love and like then he, he
1: sings it like this but it should like, be here and then yeah and Richard- he
0: proceeds to sing Moody's Mood for Love for Richard Hester on the phone on the phone, on the phone. Yeah. and
2: that's incredible <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah no,
1: and Richard Hester says he's like okay so I'm here in London I'm being paid to be here and Frankie Valley is singing to me on my phone <laughs> And he's just looking and he's just like, this is incredible, but also, I wish you would stop.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. But also, you guys are not gonna believe this. It happened to me. (gasps) What? I got a call while I was uh, in LA from the Dodgers, um, and I forget who was on the phone, but they said, hey, Frankie saw the show, and he just, he wanted to know if, like, you were you would be available to maybe come hang out at his house and just have a conversation about the music. So, of course, oh I was God. like, no, I'm too busy. I can't go meet with Frankie Valley. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. So, I, I go to his uh, place in Calabasas, California. It's this huge uh, gated community. I'm rolling up in, like, my, you know, 1982 Honda Civic that's barely... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Barely held together by chicken wire, and uh, I I come in the door. It's this this grand hallway, and he takes me to the kitchen, and we had about uh, an hour and fifteen minute uh, conversation about his music, about him coming up, Um, and I have the whole thing recorded, so I might even send that to you guys after this if you wanted to hear it.
0: But um, we we would, yeah.
2: So I, and it was just, it was just great, and I think some of what it was is he, he. you know whether because I've been doing the show already for five or six months or or what he 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 had some opinions as to like how I could feel my way through the music some more and uh, just touch on different things in it uh, to kind of be able to key back into more what he sounded like um, and, and it's funny because I loved doing the show uh, I felt I did a good good job but i also felt i was never one of the voices that matched him as closely i felt i matched his spirit pretty well um but my voice i you know i'm i'm welsh by nature i have much more of like a, a balladeer voice similar to like a tom jones sort of thing so i was always really trying to change that to sound more like him when i did the show it wasn't my natural sort of instrument um so anyway, it was great to get those tips from him so that I could key into those those things. But yeah, it's it's funny he did definitely pay attention to the different Frankies that sung the music, and I'm, oh I'm sure God. I'm sure he made more calls than just one to Richard Hester about different different <laughs> guys.
1: <laughs> that is unbelievable. Thank you for sharing that with us. Like, were you terrified?
2: Oh yeah. Of course I was terrified. I mean, I thought, I mean, you know, there's an element, there's an element of job security where you're like, well, I've signed a year contract. So I don't think I can get (laughs) fired right now, but also like a Jersey
1: contract. Yeah, that's right.
2: That's right. A Jersey contract. But also, you know, I'm talking to Frankie Valley. So, you know, (laughs) I'm like, I hope he likes it. Okay. But yeah, it ended up going great.
1: Wow. That's so funny. And I also have to say, going back to, um, to your school experience, I love how you say music theater and not musical theater. Is there a certain reason why?
2: Probably not. I, that's probably just what everyone said when I was coming up is music theater. Um, I, really? That yeah. is
0: definitely an older term, I think. Like, yeah. I I know some some programs do call it music theater still. Some programs call it musical theater. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. And
2: again, for your audiences, I am 72 years old. So I, I, <laughs> I have some, some things that are a little older that uh, that stick with me.
0: oh my god that reminds me of the backstage video with you and devin may um for broadway.com he's devin may is going around to everyone and guys if if for you if you're listening you need to watch this video it is an amazing video gives you a great insight onto how the guys were you know how close they were on the tour and it's just so wonderful to to watch so devin devin's interviewing um chris and um So Devin says, so, you know, you sing 103 songs in the show every night. How do you do it? And Christopher says, well, you know, it's, it's close to that. Close to that. But really it's only 27. (laughs) Yeah. Do you
1: remember filming that?
0: I do
2: remember filming that. It was quite fun. You know, I remember that because it was a really heightened moment in all of our lives. You know, we were about to open in Los Angeles, you know, so it was very, or no, that was actually the current. So it was was, was San Francisco. We were about to open. It was a rainy
0: day. Yeah. It's funny.
2: (laughs) It's funny to remember now because Jersey Boys has obviously become the worldwide phenomenon that it that it has um but at the time it was only playing on broadway and we were starting off the first national tour and so there was a lot of question even among the creative team like people like dez and and um You know Sergio and others who were talking to us uh, that would this play outside of New York? Like, well, of course it plays in New York. You got people coming in from Jersey every night to see their favorite show. You know, it's going to run forever. But will that happen in San Francisco? And we were pretty sure it would have legs, but at the same time, we weren't positive. And so all of us were really kind of keyed up and hoping to do the best job we could and to represent the Broadway show as best we could. Um, And in the midst of that, uh, Broadway.com did this feature and Devin May was chosen to, to host it, of course, because he had the most experience of any of us he'd been bat boy and done a number of cool things um and so and he's also just like a hilarious cut up of a guy um so he he hosted this thing and so yeah i remember him interviewing us backstage and i remember all of the fun hoopla of that uh, that
0: incredible experience wow that's awesome wow. Had you seen the show on broadway before you did it
2: yes so you know i think you know there's there's that old saying that um you know, uh, preparation that where <laughs> that luck is where, uh, preparation meets opportunity. I, I had seen the show. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, had, I had seen the show soon after it opened on Broadway and was already kind of generating some, some buzz, uh, even though it's funny. Cause when it first came out, the, the initial reviews were kind of mixed. They're like, Oh great. Another jukebox musical. I don't know if we need this. And then it just became this runaway smash. So I saw it early on and I thought, my guess is there's not going to be a lot of, guys who can play that role. And I know that I can. I don't know if I'll get to, but I know that I can. So I saw the show and then I started listening to the song, the soundtrack and singing through it once a day for basically six months. I just started singing through everything. I started figuring out where I would place the falsetto, when I would flip into it, when I would flip back down. Um, And I, I did that for about six months, not knowing if I'd even have an opportunity to audition for the show. So by the time that audition came around, I was I was really, really prepared, um, which still doesn't guarantee you're going to book anything. But uh, thankfully, in my case, it ended up eventually working out that I I was going to be the first Frankie who was cast after Tony Award winner, John Lloyd Young. And that was quite an experience.
0: Oh, yeah. How difficult was it for you to traverse both registers, the chess register and the falsetto register and, you know, find your sweet spot, like the transition between both?
2: Yeah, it took a lot. Again, we've talked about planning. It took a lot of planning for me to do that. Basically uh, some, 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 uh, singers have more finesse and versatility where they can kind of just flip in and out willy-nilly um, for me I knew that if I was going to do it I'd have to know where I was flipping in and where I was flipping out so I planned each one of those songs and and took time on each one so that I knew that okay on this note I'm going to stay still be my chest voice and I'll flip into my falsetto and keep going up and then I'll come back down and flip back in here um, and it took uh, it took a lot of kind of negotiating the voice um, I also had to be very careful to make sure I had enough voice for the show every night. I mean, as you guys probably know, within the first couple of years of, of doing the show, you know, they went from thinking John Lloyd Young was going to be the only guy playing this role eight shows a week. And then they, they switched into the six show and two show format because it was just such a, a beast to sing. They were, they were losing people and and John was having trouble and he was needing to call out more than they wanted him to. Um, and that's when they, they did that, but they were still learning all of that when we were, um, auditioning and rehearsing the show i i did for the for our entire preview uh portion in san francisco i did all the shows so i was doing eight shows a week for like two weeks um oh,
0: jared jared wasn't covering for you he
2: he 10, was two shows. he was but as you can imagine with big projects like this um they're they want to get the show in good shape and they don't often have time to prepare Um, everybody who's covering until the show's up. And so they wanted to make sure that the opening was as good as it could be. So unfortunately for Jared, I, I, having talked to him, I believe it was, you know, not, not fair for him because it, it, he had to basically wait until we opened before they finally got him rehearsed um, and then up. And then he started doing the two show. And I mean, he was fantastic and obviously went on to Broadway and a number of other amazing things. Cause he's an incredible performer. Um, but yeah, but at the time they were just so focused on getting every detail, right. That I was doing all of the shows in previews. So I was living pretty monkishly outside of the show to make sure that I'd be able to get on stage and, and do the show justice every night.
0: Now a lot of Frankie say Moody's mood for love is the hardest number in the show or like one of the hardest sections but i don't know the, the way i see it it's uh, it's 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 in it's in b-flat so
3: yes, those... perfect pitch
2: <laughs> i am jealous i do not have perfect pitch
0: <laughs> well, so it's funny so it starts so uh, i'm in the mood starts out in f and then it modulates into b-flat so it for moody's mood so, but Moody's, like you're, you're sitting on those C's and those D's and those E flats going up to those F's. So you, it is, for me, it is, it is a little bit easier to traverse that song than for me to say um, it's, it's, it's easier to traverse that song. than I can't give you anything but love because you're really sitting in that tre- in that chest register. And like, like, especially the end, the end of that the end of that number, so many people sing that end differently, because I know Rick Fanio and um, and and Joseph Leo Bueri, they always chested the end of that number, but that A flat is in such that, that horrible break spot, you know, so how were, how did you, how did, how were you musically directed to sing the end of I Can't Give You Anything But Love?
2: Um, so it was kind of it was kind of negotiated with each singer as they they did it so they would you get in the rehearsal room with your musical director you you tackle it um, for me it it sounded I could sing the the end of that song chested it just sounded too bombastic you know because i, okay. I have I have kind of a, a just a bigger voice um which is not necessarily a good thing. It's just ha- my instrument just happens to be like, it just makes a big sound. Um, so when I'm testing something, it, it'll be loud if it's up in the AB range. So while I was able to do it, they listened to it. They're like, nope, <laughs> that's not, that doesn't sound like Frankie. Let's not do that. So they had me flip in, I think uh, one or two notes beneath that. So I would, uh, I, I can't give you. I think I was starting on anything, I flipped, I yeah.
0: So, yeah. yeah,
2: so starting on anything, that's, I would flip I, in, and then yes. we would just try to goose as much of the of the falsetto as we could under that, because unfortunately that note is lower in the falsetto range, so that it became exactly. about putting as much air as I could behind the falsetto there, but that's how I did it.
0: That's, so who was, who was your music director for your leg of, like, for when, while you were there? Was it Ron? Uh, yeah, so
2: so Ron has set the entire show with us, which was, of course, a huge gift, having Beautiful. done the... Yeah, we, we benefited from having everyone that was on the Broadway creative team launch the first national tour, because, again, it was the first time other parts of the country were going to see the show they really wanted to make sure it was as good as it could be so we had the entire original creative team which is an incredible gift as a performer um so ron said it and then we had a great uh, musical director on the road named andrew wilder who's uh, had md'd a number of broadway shows and and joined us on the road uh and he's everything you want out of an md he's particular enough to to keep you where you need to be but also kind of lets you have the few you know choices that that still stay in the world of of the four seasons
0: Amazing. Yeah. Ron Melrose told us um, that throughout the throughout the the run of the show, three times they goosed up the tempos. And um it's so I we were
1: Watching or listening yeah, to so, a very legal video that we have of you, and, and, and the big three was so they, slow. They were slow. And uh, yeah. Now at New World, oh my gosh, yeah, it's it funny.
2: So yeah, I saw I saw the the tour um a few years after i I'd, I'd been in it. I think this was the second national because I had a good friend who was in it named Sean Taylor Corbett, um, who was the two mm-hmm. show Frankie, um, and we're still really good friends. Um, but anyway, I, I went to see it, and I remember thinking everything seems so much faster than when we did it and that was (laughs) that was before they did the new world stages version so yeah yeah it does not surprise me that happened and i'm glad that was not my imagination it's good for me to hear that ron told you that because i was like this didn't seem this fast when i was doing it
0: (laughs) what's even crazier if you listen to the original tracks oh my god they are (laughs) dreadfully slow but ron ron melrose says if you ask anyone on the street hey can you sing me eight bars of sherry they're going to sing to you the speed of the show because the world has sped up since the 60s yeah. and has since sped up since 2005 no it's 2006,
2: it, yeah absolutely i don't know how often you guys go back and listen to the you know the four seasons originals on these songs but they're they, you know they're they're at least you know a, a third slower i want to say than the original broadway tempos you know and which then got sped up even more and it's it's funny to think but yes our the world's just gotten faster and people responded better to a faster tempo
1: Definitely. Yeah. And did you and Jared Spector ever feed off of each other with certain ways you would approach notes?
2: Oh gosh. We have such different instruments. Jared is one of the guys there, there are like two or three guys in the Jersey boys world that I think got as close as you can get to Frankie without being Frankie. And Jared is one of those guys. I just think he, he had an instrument that already naturally sounded more, uh, like Frankie in the pop world. Uh, in my opinion. And so when he then made uh, efforts to go even closer to Frankie, I just felt that he was just spot on. And, and um, I've been so uh, happy to see all of the things that have happened in his career, but yeah, so we, we never really kind of compared notes. We, we were both kind of autonomous performers Um, we were friends and would hang out, but it was like, I I know what I'm doing. You know what you're doing. Um, I don't think he would watch like he, he had to watch me a bunch before we started so I think he stole whatever he thought was good and then like
0: yeah. <laughs> made up the rest
2: of his stuff because that was one thing that Dez actually told me in rehearsals which is something I've kept with me my entire career is that um, amateurs invent, professionals steal.
1: Steal. Yeah. Yep. And I love that line. I do too
2: yep. because you know especially coming out of school and I, I've been out of school like 3 or 4 years before I got Jersey Boys but coming out of school like you're, you're so intent on being original and like I'm going to show everybody how original i am and how how i can bring what i do to every role that i play um and if you if you don't get over that you're actually going to lose uh the ability to get a lot better at what you do because if you can steal from the people who are doing something really well and then put your own spin on it it's just going to be a better product so i always appreciated um des telling me that and i went and saw uh the show while we were rehearsing at um The uh, 42nd Street Studios in New York City before we went out to San Francisco, I went and saw the show two, three, four times and each time was like, okay, yep, uh, like that thing John does. I'm going to do that. I like this. I like that. And then we'll just add my own on top of that. So, you know, I I was grateful for that lesson from him. So um, I'm sure there were occasional times where I went into the, the theater and saw Jared where I stole a couple things and I'm sure he, he may have sold him one or two things for me, but he's, <laughs> he's a pretty amazing original performer. So I, I can't guarantee he stole anything from me. He may just be innately <laughs> incredible.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, what's amazing, I mean, you guys, all you guys have so much love for each other and you guys, you guys came up together in this show and y'all were part of the first, cast the rest of the world got to see, and the rest of the country got to see, and that's so amazing, and to see where you guys are now, like, that's a big part of our show, is seeing where you guys are now, and how the show has affected you, and in, especially during the pandemic, how much you think of it, and how much joy you get from it, Um, because it can be a lonely, dark time right now, you know, so um, thank you, you know, so much for, you know, sharing all your stories, and so, and that was just something i just of course to yeah, yeah. Well, it's
1: always so great to hear that like, you're still so close with all of them and, and the whole point of, of jersey Boys is family is everything and you guys are from what you told us so yeah so wonderful to hear
2: thank you yeah there's a yeah there's a lot of uh we, we still you know we don't see each other very often but there's still a lot of people from that world that i keep track of follow on social media you know i've been excited to see different achievements i mean eric bergen obviously went on to man of secretary yeah. and it is now in the middle of the pandemic shifted into having his own production company and he's been doing incredible things with that um, I was just on his social media this morning because he posted a song that he had recorded and it was beautiful um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's fun, it's fun keeping in touch and honestly, my best friend came out of that experience Michael Ingersoll is is my best friend he lives here in Chicago he's up in Skokie, Aww. I'm in Lakeview and so uh, I'm thankful to the show that it provided me one of my best friends and part of the reason we're best friends is because we've <laughs> shared so many of these unique experiences you know, he and I, coming out of Jersey Boys did Under the Street Lamp and that was a weird life imitating art thing because we had been in a musical playing a band that was on the road where none of us had experienced that before and then came right. out of that and became a band that went on the road um and so i now have a visceral uh understanding of what life on the road is like and and how it it plays right. out right. and like being on a bus and then getting to the next town and then oh yeah my socks are dirty i guess i'm washing them in the sink tonight you know
0: yeah. you gotta bring,
1: take your <laughs> <socks>. <laughs> and now you're gonna
0: bring that perspective everyone guys He's going to be playing Frankie Valli in Jersey boys on stage again in St. Louis. That is Amazing. correct.
2: Yeah. So here's, here's kind of a full circle story. So my wife and I met doing a production of Greece at stages St. Louis, uh, which is this fantastic music theater house in, uh, in St. Louis and, um, I was duty and she was Frenchy, um, oh. and we just we immediately just went head over heels for each other, and we were married a year later. But while I was there doing Greece with her, the audition came up for Jersey Boys, and I flew to New York. I auditioned for the show. Um, I flew back to St. Louis, and I found out I got a callback, and the callback was on the first day of previews. For Greece in St. Louis, and it was also like the stormy, like tornado season in St. Louis. And they're like, mm-hmm. Flights get canceled all the time. If you go to that callback for Jersey Boys, we don't know if you're gonna make it back. Your understudy, of course, isn't prepared yet because it's the first preview. We we really need you to not go back to the callback. And I made a commitment to them, and I felt the right thing at that point in my life was to, to not go to this callback. I'm not sure I would make the same call now, but at the time I was like, I made a commitment to these guys, a commitment to them. So I was gonna go ahead and, and stay there. So I didn't go to my callback and they cast someone else in the role for the first national tour of jersey boys but they were having trouble in their negotiations with this person and i got a call like uh, a month and a half after that from Holly Ann ruggiero des's assistant she's like hey um are you doing anything uh in like a, a month from now like did you book any shows i was like uh, no i've got a couple callbacks but nothing's firmed up yet She's like okay okay cool uh, uh that's all thanks and then she hung up the phone <laughs> hung up the phone and I didn't hear anything. And I was, I, I was telling my, my, you know, girlfriend, now wife, Jenna, I was like, uh, I got this really weird call from Holly Ann. Uh, she wants to know if I'm busy around <laughs> when the tour is starting. Don't know what that means. And then the next day I got a call from her and she said, okay, we're flying you out to San Francisco. They were at the time in their tech process for the whiz, um, which was something sure. they were, they were going to take to hope to take to Broadway Um and so I went there while they were doing the Wiz. It was the same team again. It was Des and Sergio and Ron Melrose. And since they were all there, they flew me out there. And they were like, "Yeah, so you're going to come audition for Frankie? Here's uh, here's seven scenes and five songs. Just have them all learned by the time you get there, and uh, we'll go ahead and, and audition you." So they flew me out to San Francisco. I did the. What yeah. was
0: what was the time like? You got the call, learn this. Learn all this shit by the time you get there. How, how long think, did you have to learn all this shit?
2: If I'm remembering correctly, so I got the initial call where I, it was just checking availability. The next day I got the call saying you're going to audition, and then I think two days later – I flew out to San Francisco and in the, in, in the middle there. So the day that I got the call saying I was going to audition, they said, you have tickets to Jersey boys tonight, go see the show so you can refresh yourself. And you're going (laughs) to meet tomorrow with our dialect coach, uh, Stephen Gabus, uh, who was at that time coaching a show on like theater row. He's like, go meet him at theater row. Uh, and just spend an hour with him and he's going to start getting you into the accent. And then the day after that, you're going to fly out to San Francisco and audition again. And, and I did. Uh, and that was, that was the first time I had a, a pretty decent conversation with Ron Melrose um, at the piano. So it, it was kind of a, an elongated audition process because they were also rehearsing for... Um, the uh the the show the whiz at la jolla playhouse at the time um so i would kind of like do a couple scenes they would go back to rehearsal they'd come back out i would do something else they'd be like okay <laughs> next time we come out you're gonna do this and then they would go do something else so at one of these times oh i was just God. in a room with ron melrose and he was the first person to be like listen there's a pretty good chance you're you're gonna get this um and it's pro- your your life's probably gonna change so just you know prepare for that and and there, there you go so I finished auditioning <laughs> there. I flew back to New York. Um, my agent called and said, it, it's looking really good. You most likely have this, but um, Bob Gaudio has casting authority. He he has to sign off on every person who's going to be one of the big four guys. Um, and he wasn't there in San Francisco. He was in New York. So I had another audition where I was going to do <laughs> slightly less material, but, but still most of it. Um, yeah. And it was going to be midweek after I got back. So I got back on like a Sunday and it was going to be on Wednesday. And all of the the producers and everyone was going to be in the room so I go back to the studio in New York and all the producers are there there's like nine people in there uh but Bob's not there yet so I'm just waiting there they're like yeah as soon as Bob gets here we'll you know we'll, we'll get started but he's got to see everything so it was it was only a few minutes but then Bob walks in and he happened to be hanging out with Joe Pesci that day so Joe, yeah so yeah. he walks yeah. in the door with Joe Pesci so Joe Pesci <laughs> Is now in my final callback for Jersey Boys, staring me down. And I have to pretend to be uh, not only Italian, but from New Jersey and get all the (laughs) attitude I can in front of, you know, Mr. Mob Guy himself, you know, Joe (laughs) Pesci, like the the quintessential, you know, mob movie actor. So, yeah, I was definitely nervous, but uh, it all worked out. And uh, just, I was, that was about, I think, two to two and a half weeks before rehearsal started. And so I, I got it. My agent let me know I got it worked out the details and a couple weeks later i was in a rehearsal room with des and sergio and the entire team so it was it was wow. crazy but that was at stage of st louis so uh, full circle now <laughs> yeah. now they called me during the pandemic They're like hey we got the rights to jersey boys you know do you have any interest in playing this part again i was like yeah i would i would yeah. love to play absolutely the part absolutely not they, yeah. <laughs> so they are opening up this brand new theatrical space that the city has spent that the city that they're in has spent uh, millions of dollars on so it's going to be a beautiful space and uh, and yeah, starting sip, uh, I think it's starting September 24th. Uh, yep, to October 24th. Uh, I'll be there playing Frankie. And uh, as you guys uh, know, because I let you know a little bit earlier, my wife will be playing Mary Delgada. So I'm I'm really excited about
0: that. It was so cool, you know. And you, holy you, you shit! got holy <laughs> shit. You guys are going to be experiencing this together. It's been about a decade since you've been in the show, right? Yeah. And and. You know you're going to be experienced having this amazing experience again, experiencing this great material, and getting to do it with your wife.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited. She's been excited to yell at me on stage for for years.
0: So <laughs> she's she's
2: super stoked, and she's oh my god, she's going to be an incredible Mary. She. I uh, yeah. can't
0: wait to see. I can't wait to see. Good job, Dad. Yeah.
1: Dad. <laughs> <laughs> that the oh. knife is going to go in there. That's
2: I know, so and funny. now that I have like an eight-year-old girl, woof. <laughs>
0: Oh my yeah, god, this so- is this is exactly what we talk about. You know, we, we've talked about with other Frankies, you know, with Travis Clover and with Aaron that Jesus, <laughs> how different it is to play this role, especially the Francine scenes. Now that you now that you know like now that they dad. have kids, that you're a dad, it's oh we're so excited for you. We're so oh, excited. You. <laughs> and you know, we're we're We'd love to be there. Yeah, oh St. Louis. God. September, St. Louis. let's go. September, yeah. guys, September twenty-fourth to October twenty fourth. Yep. Yep. A month. One. Guys, get your tickets. It's gonna be oh what a show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's
2: it's gonna be a lot of fun and I'm super, super excited to do it. So uh yeah, it'll it will it will just be great.
1: Yeah. Uh, have you looked back at the script yet and just thought about how maybe your perspectives have changed
2: sure yeah I mean I yeah I I looked through the script um they you know they're they're making a couple uh small changes to the script because they do have a slightly more conservative audience so there won't Mm -hmm. be quite as many fucks when you see it in St. Louis (laughs) just so you know so your audience knows
1: Jenna better (laughs) still have the first one
2: i think I she so. does i think okay. she does yeah so right, so yeah but i've been looking through it and it is funny you know to have a lot of memories come flooding back as like where i was when i first said these lines when i first read these lines like when i first yeah. saw the set coming together um mm-hmm. you, you know you're just seeing all of this grandeur around you and you're like i remember being incredibly intimidated right before we opened the show in san francisco because you know you you're you're literally seeing millions of dollars that have been put into something that is now, to some respect, riding on your and your friend's shoulders. So we were all like, "Okay, hope we don't, uh, hope we don't fuck this up." <laughs> so, <laughs> no, of yeah. not. well, you
0: know what they say: some people are born great, some people have greatness thrust upon, upon them. them, and then some people. Achieve. like Christopher Colley Jones, <laughs> achieve greatness yeah. and do amazing fucking <laughs> things, man. But
2: <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> and, um, and we really got into how like every single production of Jersey Boys really is like picking up a Disney collectible because you never know what you're going to get. Or for example, in St. Louis, if they take away some of the so the F-bombs, then sure. that's the next specific part for that region. And for you, specifically with the direct addresses, um, we love the summers in Jersey speech. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a delicate line between um, between being in the present day for you as an actor. So it's like, it's 2005, like you're talking to us from that perspective. Right. But also you have to be in the moment when you're going back, when you have to pick up the phone, when you hear the news about Francine. So, and you no. Know, basically like how did you approach the direct addresses when you have to kind of just be in the moment but also be out of the moment
0: and knowing what's going to happen yeah.
1: It's, yeah it's the jersey boys irony
0: sure exactly. you know it,
1: it's because it's not dramatic irony but it is
2: yeah, well I think yeah. I think one of one of the things that's built in that just is so helpful for the actors when delivering these uh direct addresses from Jersey Boys is just the writing from from Rick and Marshall. It it kept you mm-hmm. present. You were just always you, yeah. you didn't have time to get too out of sync with the show. So in that that one in particular um you've it, it, it was easy to do because well not easy, but you know, it it for me as an actor it was so helpful to have have gotten somewhere in the script you know by the time you get to summers in jersey like you finally you're paying off the debt you got you got the group back together you you and bob have pushed through and you're finally like breathing a fresh a breath of fresh air and isn't that always the case where like when you finally feel like everything's covered all of a sudden you you miss the truck that's coming straight at you or something you know and and so i i felt it was so well written that way that i just stayed in the present moment where it's just happy and then you pick up the phone and then I just I just allowed that to kind of happen and, and take over. It was oh, one of Oh, my- yes. that's well, so
0: <laughs> interesting because... And
2: we
1: were- Have you seen Oh, Hello on Broadway?
2: I wish on I Netflix? had seen Oh, Hello on Broadway. I, I did see it on yes. Netflix, but I don't okay. remember everything from it.
1: I only saw it on Netflix too. So I, do you remember the part when Steve Martin comes on and he's basically giving half a masterclass and he says, okay, this is how comedy works. When you pick up the phone, if, if the news is happy, you pick up the phone sad. If, if the news is sad, you've got the phone happy. And that's exactly what you did. And,
0: and that's so, because I, so many Frankies <laughs> do that so differently because I know th- there are some Frankies where it's like, they really do traverse that line because I, th- there's one Frankie where, you know, he so, it's the, so he, he, he's, he's, he's saying that line and, you know, th- things are good. I, I think that, that that's right. The, things that's, are getting better. Things are getting better between us. us. The phone rings. He looks and he gives a face like he knows what's going on. And then, then it's know, the
1: Adapasa Nutata. Yeah, then there's
0: the Adapasa right. Nutata section.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like, wow, like he know it's it's like in Hades Town where they say, you know how the song's gonna end, but you still sing it again.
2: Right. Yeah, I think for me there was an element of being in the present, knowing what would happen on the call. Um, mm-hmm. But as soon as you finish saying, you know, this too shall pass, you, you have to be back in the present moment where exactly. Frankie's Frank exactly. just finished a show. He normally has his customary phone call. He's going to go have his phone call. So that I, I, for me, I found it detrimental to carry too much of the knowledge of what was about to happen into right. that. One you, hundred. You have to just give enough so that the audience has some idea that something is about to happen whatever it is but something is is happening you can't right. just be like hey this too shall pass but, <laughs> but at, <laughs> at the same time once you say it you've got to flip back into like finish my show oh breathe i can i can breathe the breath and now i get my call from my family this is great here we go and then and then it has to overtake you because it, it just is more I powerful know. that way and one of my yeah. favorite things you know each each Frankie has their own things. And it is funny. Like you talk about it, it being like a, you know, a, a collectible sort of thing, because people mm-hmm. fall in love with like the cast that they saw. And I have got, you know, I, I've gotten tons of people who are like, you were my first Frankie. You're the best Frankie. And other people be like, mm, I saw Jared first. You're fine. Or like, you know, <laughs> or, or like Michael Longoria or John or whatever, you know, be like, they will always be my favorite. It is, it's great. It means that people have really identified with, um, you know, these characters and the ones that they saw first. Um, so I, I do love that one of the things that I always took with me is I, I forget who it was, but it was a friend of Bob and Frankie's who had kind of come up with them who saw the show and wrote me afterwards and um, you know he he'd seen a couple different versions of it and he said the thing I like about you is that uh, you its a, in his opinion carried Frankie's heart the best like he just he just felt like for whatever reason the performance I was giving really had a lot of uh, heart that, that he identified as being similar to Frankie's spirit. And so I, I always really kind of treasured that yeah. that compliment for me, because that's that's also something that I, I strive for in, in a lot of the parts that I play as an actor, because I'm still active as an actor. It's what I love doing. I'll do it till I die. it really trying to key into like the heart of a character, because um, I'm not the best mimic. I'm not the best imitator. I've already said there are other Frankies who I thought did it way better than me. Um, but, uh, but I do try to find out what's motivating you, what's driving you, and how can I make you human for this audience tonight?
0: It's an actor's dream. It yeah. really is. It's such a beautifully written part and it's one of the hardest parts. It's definitely top five hardest musical theater parts mm-hmm. in all of history. Yeah, I yeah. mean, listen, setting aside the fact that like there, there are no like baritone parts anymore, No, but, but like even in terms of tenor parts, you have to use so many different parts of your voice And the script is so good and you have to everything has just has to come together so nicely and um, dude we're just so honored to be talking to you because you you're, you're part of that huge legacy of what of how the world and the rest of the country, and the rest of the world was able to be introduced to the show well thank yeah. you and,
1: and that yeah. music too you're keeping the music alive you know so we're we're yeah. 25 we're definitely that younger generation and we got more into it because you were on that national tour yeah like, giving that yeah. education <laughs> to so many people
2: well thank you i i appreciate that it's very very kind of you say all that and yeah i i you know I, I i love this show and it is it's a gift it's a gift for an actor to be able to play a part like that even just once in their career so yeah i i certainly continue to to treasure that experience and look forward to being able to do, to do it again.
1: Yeah. Do you think um, your monologue classes with Holly and Ruggiero impacted how you approached your direct addresses? maybe?
2: That is a great question. I, I mean, I took a one day workshop with her. So was it wasn't, oh, okay. it wasn't like a long extended thing, okay, but yeah, gotcha. I, I, it's funny. I don't, I I have a notebook somewhere that where I wrote down, cause I used to write down everything, you know, that I would learn in the class. And I, I know I have that somewhere, but I don't remember what I wrote down from that, but it was, it was good. I, it was, I think she focused a lot on staying present. So that definitely mm-hmm. held true in terms yeah. of what we were just talking about is that, you know, if you're, if there's any part of your monologue that you're delivering, like you already know what's coming and you've already decided how you feel about it, it just mm-hmm. immediately becomes less exciting for an audience than if you're, right. you know, keeping it present, obviously.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of keeping it present, let's move to the future and talk Um, about all the shows that you're working on. So you are going back with Under the Street Lamp this summer. In I, June.
2: I am, yeah. So, you know, similar to the entire live arts world, uh, Under the Street Lamp stopped performing during the pandemic. I had left the, the group at the end of 2017. Um, but then when, when this pandemic happened, uh, they, they had to stop their concerts and now they have some coming back. And they had an opening in their roster for a couple shows. So on June 18th, uh, I will be with them at the Genesee Theater in Waukegan, Wisconsin. Um, so I think they're just in case... We people want to go see it. The Gen- it's geneseetheater.com. You can get tickets there, but that's on June 18th, which is a Friday night. Um, and then two days later, we're playing a casino in North Dakota, but I don't have that information. I'm not even sure if that's uh, for public sale or whether it's just for the people at the casino. But um, but yeah, so I'm doing I'm doing a couple gigs with them. So that's another kind of full circle moment. It's funny given the fact that you know this pandemic has been so hard on on arts workers, and we all never envisioned a world where Broadway would shut down. You know, when nine eleven happened, it shut down for like a day, and then it was back. We never saw this coming. Um, so, given what this year has been, I, I'm so excited that I have so many wonderful things on the horizon with under the street lamp uh jersey boys i'm currently um doing a virtual project for chicago shakespeare theater which is going to be streaming live um starting tomorrow i think may 24th so um so yeah that'll be streaming may 24th for about a month um and i could talk about that a little bit it's really kind of fun and and kooky the the project i'm working on and then i also had been cast in a production of children of eden right before the pandemic happened yeah this is another kind of Cool story. I, I, I'm. I'm. I hope I don't bore your listeners. But basically, I. Oh, <laughs> no, no. So so Stephen Schwartz, when he wrote Children of Eden, had kind of always envisioned it having a Broadway run at some t- point, and it it didn't. It was one of his shows that never, never got had a it. Broadway run. So they, he had this idea that he wanted to try to remount it and find some people to do it, um, and possibly give it that chance for a Broadway run in the future. Um, and also at the same time record it for posterity. And so he, uh, made a deal, I think, with PBS to, to record the show, but he was looking to hire a cast uh, locally in Chicago along with some celebrities. So I went and auditioned here in Chicago um, and a good friend of mine, uh, Brenda Didier, and um, her assistant, uh, Chris Carter, were, was, she was directing and he was choreographing. Um, and then an amazing musical director, Jermaine Hill, who I'm actually working with right now on the Chicago Shakespeare Project, uh, was nice. going to be music directing. So I went to audition for them. And guys, when I went in the room, Stephen Schwartz was in there. So, I sang. Oh my
1: goodness!
2: Wow. Yeah, I sang uh, "A World Without You" from Children of Eden in front of Stephen Schwartz, and uh, and, and thankfully because I'm friends with people behind the table, like I got like my friend called me afterwards, like yeah, Stephen really liked your voice. I was like,
0: no, oh, Stephen wow,
2: yes. That's amazing. So I, I <laughs> Big totally man in town. Yeah, Big to-
0: man in town.
2: <laughs> I totally fangirled out, and I was so stoked. Um, and and then he ended up casting me. He cast um they're still seeing whether everyone can do it because now it's been pushed until the summer of 2022, but it should still be here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, have I'm, I'm the understudy for, uh, for Adam. So uh, wow. yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, that'll be coming up, coming up next year. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's just, so it's, cool. it was so odd. The timing when you reached out to me, because literally all this stuff started happening right when you guys were reaching out to me and I was like, I, I guess I'll actually have a number of things to talk about. This is really fun.
1: Yes! Oh, we're so happy well, for you. Thank Chris. you, like, Howard,
0: yeah. for putting us in touch. Yes. And, and you and know what? Everything. Timing is everything. Okay. Everyone remembers it how they need Me to, too. and everything happens the way it needs to. Exactly. <laughs> that's
2: right. That's right. I, I'll tell you another story from the show that's one of my favorites. Uh, because they like like uh, a lot of these things that you've already done. A lot of these are done in lists where you list like three things in the show. You know, uh, and one of them is Nikki's speech, which happens right before I make an entrance, where he says. You know, there are three things you don't do. You don't lie your mother, you don't tell the truth to your life, your wife. Um, and the third thing, everybody knows that. So Michael Ingersoll was delivering this speech one night and completely forgot what the third thing was. And, <laughs> and that's my cue line to come on. So literally, and he's in it like it's not everyone on stage, he's in a pin spot on stage by himself. Yes. He's in that pin spot, and literally, this is what he says. There are three things, you, you, everyone knows there are three things you can't do. You don't lie to your mother. You don't tell the truth to your wife. <sighs> <And> that, was, <laughs> that was it. And I thought, I thought like his mic had cut out. I just missed it. And so I come on like five seconds late for my entrance. And then as soon as we're both able to get off stage afterwards, like, dude, did your mic cut out? He's like, nope. I just completely forgot what the third thing was. So <laughs> Went
0: to the white room. <laughs> yeah, there we it was go. Really, really funny. <laughs> Oh my god. That,
1: that I think that's my favorite dialogue story. That's
2: so funny. Yeah, just kind of like just so Nick Maxi. Yep, just like uh, don't don't know what that third thing is. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's it sucks because you literally set up the line by saying there's three things
0: and it then <laughs> and then you say two of them. <laughs>
1: Moment that worked out. It totally That's worked right. out. You know what?
0: I just made a huge realization. Rick Ellis loves three things. It's okay? the rule of three. It it's, is the rule of three. You're right, Gia. He, he does <laughs> Thank that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. He does that in the Adams family, too. I'm
1: sure. There, there three. There
0: are three things. Yes. Gomez. It's so funny. Three is oh, work yeah. for really? comedy.
2: three's just they they
0: work. Yep. Rick, That's we, it, we Rick love does. you, Rick. He knows. Yep. Um, we were wondering yeah. um, if you could tell us a little bit about Joe Joe Cervello.
2: Sure, I'm happy to. Um, you know, it, it was a blow to have him him pass. He was he was a big presence, you know, in the Jersey Boys world uh, and in the world in general. He was the one when we started rehearsing um, that we were all kind of looking to in some way because. Uh, he'd been around the block. He had achieved a lot of what a lot of us were were headed towards and were, were looking to do in our careers. So, of course, we were looking to him for that. Um, but also, he was the real deal. You know, he'd been on The Sopranos. He was this Italian guy. You know, he he had everything innately that we were all struggling to, you know, put on artificially. Um, and so I I remember... Uh, definitely me. And I'm sure a lot of the other cast too, you know, you, you deliver a line and then kind of glance out the side of your eyes and be like, did Joe like it? Did Joe think that was good? Um, just because he was, he was kind of our measure for authenticity. Um, and, uh, and beyond that, he was, you know, we, we've said this about a number of people, but he, he just had a big heart, you know, and he was always open for a conversation about acting about choices. Uh, he was free and easy with that sort of thing. He wasn't, you know, he'd achieved, the most of any of us who were doing the show at that point, but it was, it was never, uh, there was never an arm's distance nice. from him. You know, it was never like, stay over here. Just, just stay in your lane, do your thing. He was open to every conversation. Um, like, how can we make this joke better? How can we, you know, make this dialogue better? How can we nice. create the dynamics that are going to work in the gyp Carlo scenes, you know, with, with the guys. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, he will definitely be missed. Um, you know my I I mentioned before Michael Ingersoll, who was my initial uh Nick Massey on the first national tour um he was really really close with Joe and he and I were texting that day and you know Joe had kind of uh, mentored him a bit in his in his life so there's there's an impact that goes uh goes beyond himself and I mean in one sense it's the silver lining is that that's kind of it's kind of what you want to happen when you when you pass you want you want your reach to go further than just you you want people who have been touched in some way by by what you contributed um and the value you were able to give to other people and he definitely was someone who excelled in that in that way and and uh i i will miss him um i'm i'm bummed i will never get a chance to to work with him again um and or just to have a have a bite to eat with him and and shoot the breeze about about acting and and the career um, but he was he was a stand-up guy and i will always love him of course yeah
1: well we're so sorry for your loss well, oh, thank everyone,
0: you. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, on that note, Joseph Rava, we are lifting you up on our yeah. podcast. And Christopher Kale Jones, we will always support you and share whatever you are working on, whatever you want us to tell the world. We are here for you.
2: Fantastic. I don't. Is. I don't know if you've had any two-timers on your podcast, but I, I love podcasts. So <laughs> if I do anything really big in the future where like it's worth it to have me on again, uh, please have me on again because- um, oh anyone, God, I love podcasts. If, if you wanted
1: to shoot the breeze with us <laughs> or, or really even dissect anything about the show, like we can, what we usually like to do is we like to pick one section of the show. So maybe even it's just, like, we could do act one, we could do just winter, we could pick a season.
0: Yeah, we just and love we can go through it all it, together. Like deep dive, that's yes, what we do. Yes, that's
1: what we do. We're the deep dive- We're
0: the deep kiss. dive- universe. That yes.
2: is fantastic. <laughs> I, I mean okay, so basically let's just meet every Friday night from now on. We'll have a bottle of great. wine and we'll just talk story. It'll be great. It'll be Don't
0: tempt <laughs> <you go>. us. <laughs> Don't tempt <laughs> us. Yeah. We will. yeah. Well if you we wanted to, to whether
2: for the podcast well. or not, we could we can figure something out once I start rehearsals in uh, St. Louis and you could talk to dude, like a whole yeah, a whole sick. bunch of new people approaching the material for the first time
0: probably. Yes. Would be, that would be yeah. sick. We would
1: absolutely love that. Yes. If you can make that
0: connection that'd be sick dude. Yeah. Thank you, Howard. I appreciate okay. that. I am a salud. Yes, a lot of work
1: and a lot of years. A lot of
0: work and it took a lot of work okay, and a lot of years. Yes, exactly. awesome, awesome. So I think we'll wrap it up here. Yes,
2: that sounds great. I'll do one final little uh, shameless plug. If any, if anybody, please,
0: please. plug, plug, yeah. and plug and plug. If yes, anybody's interested,
2: perfect. If anybody's interested and wants to keep up with what I'm doing, I'll, always the easiest place is just to follow me on Instagram. I'll make sure to let people yes. know what's going on. So my, it's just my name, Chris kale Jones. Um, spelled K A L E. It looks like kale. It looks like the leafy green. But, uh, but <laughs> that's my name. Yeah. So that's I'll I'll put everything on Instagram. I I'm horrible <laughs> at updating my website. Uh, but uh, but yeah. And I've already I'm already connected to you guys there as well. And um, yeah. I can't wait to I I just found out about you guys through Howard. I can't can't believe I it wasn't on my radar before. And so I've already listened to a couple episodes. But I can't wait to kind of catch thank up on it so because much. I am I am oh, a podcast you. junkie. I literally that's all I listen to in the car. So I can't wait to catch up.
3: I think just add, if, if I could for a minute, Chris, um, I am very grateful for the strength and the length of our friendship. And, um, you know, may we have many more years of theater and friendships together. And uh, Gia and David, it's fairly new, but hopefully that will go on forever too. Chris, I can't thank you enough. You really have elevated my life as well to a new level. So thank you.